We're going to go to Ezra chapter number one in your Bible if you want to turn there. I'm very thankful for the history of this church and uh, that it has stood here in St. Joseph as a lighthouse for all these years and continues to do so. Uh, we are, are blessed to be able to support the gospel going around the world uh, with all of our missionaries that we support and certainly our outreach into the community. And I'm very thankful that uh, God has watched over and kept this church right where that it needs to be. I enjoyed the new songbooks this morning, and there's a lot more that we're going to see in those in the weeks ahead. Some wonderful, wonderful old songs in there. And I want to thank you, church, for being willing to give the way that you gave so that we could get those new songbooks, those new hymnals. Uh, but also... Because of your giving, I want you to understand this, because of your giving, if you gave toward those, uh, we are able to be a blessing to other churches. Because yesterday we were able to give 100 of our old hymnals uh, to Bible Baptist Church over in Cameron, who were in need of hymnals, and so we were able to do that. Uh, uh, Brother uh, Mackey asked me, he said, well, what do you think those are worth? And I said, well, you can put the price on them, but to you, they're free. Uh, for, so we were able to be a blessing, and then we'll be giving away 50 more of those hymnals uh, tomorrow uh, to Harvest Baptist Church up in Savannah to be a blessing to them. Now, so you, in giving, were a blessing to our church that we'd get new hymn, hymnals, but you're also a blessing to those churches as they get the old hymnals that were in here and can be used for a long, long time. So thank you so much for your giving in that, for being such a such a blessing. Ezra chapter 1, we, we begin this series uh, last Sunday, and uh, we're going to go on through the book of Ezra. Uh, aren't you excited about getting into chapter 2? You that We figure that we're going to have Brother Brett come up and read all those names in chapter number 2, so we better pack a lunch that day, amen. Just kidding, just just. Just, 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 just kidding. Just kind of, sort of. Anyway, uh, too many things in my brain. Clear those out. Clear those things out of your brain. Let's, let's read here in Ezra chapter number one, beginning in verse number one. Now the first of the year, Cyrus, king of Persia. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him an house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? His God be with, you, with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel, he is the God which is in Jerusalem. And whosoever remaineth in any place where he sojourneth, let the men of his place help him with silver and with gold and with goods and with beasts beside the free will offering for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Then rose up the chief of the fathers of Judah and Benjamin and the priest and the Levites with all them whose spirit God had raised excuse me, to go up to build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. And all that 
And all they that were about them strengthened their hands with vessels of silver, with gold, with goods, and with beasts, and with precious things, besides all that was willingly offered. Also, <clears throat> Cyrus the king brought forth the vessels of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had brought forth out of Jerusalem and had put them in the house of his gods. Even those uh, did Cyrus king, even those did Cyrus king of Persia bring forth by the hand of Midradeth the treasurer and numbered them unto Sheshbazzar the prince of Judah. And this is the number of them: thirty chargers of gold and a thousand chargers of silver, nine and twenty knives, thirty basins of gold, silver basins of a second sort, four hundred and ten, and other vessels a thousand. All the vessels of gold and of silver were five thousand and four hundred. All these did Sheshbazzar bring up with them of the captivity that were brought up from Babylon unto Jerusalem. I titled a message this morning, God is still in the saving business. Because God is still in the saving business. And I believe that we're going to see this morning, I know that you've already got it figured out, but I believe we're going to see this morning that God has always been in the saving business. Always, always. No, no, no. From the very beginning, God has been in the saving business, but he is still in the saving business uh, for sure. Let's pray. We'll get started. Father, thank you, Lord, for the good group that came out to worship you this morning. And they came because, Lord, they want to hear from you. And so we yield to you the best that we can right now. We ask you to use us just as a vessel to be uh, to, to, to bring forth this message the way that you would have it done. We have prayed for power. We pray, Lord, that you would just give us clarity of thought and speech. Seem to be having a little trouble there this morning. So, Father, I need your help, God, that unction only you can give. And I pray for the hearts of the listeners, Lord, that we would be open to whatever you might speak to us about today. And if there's someone in this auditorium that does not know Christ as their Savior, I pray that you would very clearly, very clearly, Lord, speak to their heart and help them to get to a place that they're willing to trust Christ, maybe even before they leave today. Please bless and help us through this message and with it, we pray in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen and amen. Thank you for standing for the reading of the Word of God. And please do be seated. If you were here Sunday, uh, last Sunday morning, you saw, you remember that we saw how God's Word shaped the course of Israel's history, in fact, of all of human history. And uh, that it's really bib biblically accurate to say that history is his story. Uh, it is God, not man, that controls the final plan of what happens here on earth. God is still in control, even though it looks like everything is out of control. There's no voice that speaks with more authority in our world than God's voice. That is the word of God. There's, 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 there, I'll say it again. There's no voice that speaks with more authority in our world today than God's voice. And that's the Word of God that He left here for us, that He preserved for us over all these years. And so this morning we're going to uh, see that the main message of God's voice, the main emphasis of our Bible, is the message of salvation. That, that God did send His only begotten Son to die for the sin of mankind, uh, which He did, shedding His blood freely on the cross, giving up the ghost, being laid in the tomb dead for three days, rising from the dead, victorious over death and hell and the grave. 
and offering up free salvation to whosoever will. No, 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 it's not the elect few. Well, I hope I'm one of the elect. I'm telling you, we're all of the elect. We just have to make the final vote and say, this is what I want. I want what God has to offer. Amen. Absolutely so. Whosoever, who's, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It has to do with us. I don't know. I don't know why God would send people to hell. I don't know why people that would hear about hell wouldn't choose to trust Christ as their Savior. Yeah. So... God's still in the soul-saving business. And as we begin here in the story of Ezra, the Jewish people have been living in exile in Babylon for 70 years. 70 years. Uh, You you think about that. They've been been pulled away from their homeland. They no longer have the temple. They're not allowed to worship the way they did for their life. And here it is. For 70 years, they've been away from that. So to the average Jew, by the end of 70 years, God seemed far away. Don't you think? Come on. He seemed far away, distant. Come on. Look, isn't it something? I mean, think of how far away God seems when we don't, when we don't read our Bible for seven days. Can you imagine not reading your Bible for seven months, how far away God would seem? How about if you didn't read, read your Bible for seven years? You think that you might be far away? You think God might seem distant if you weren't reading your Bible for seven years? Can you imagine 70 years? All the things they had been taught, all the things they knew to do. I mean, the average, the average Jew at that time, no doubt, seemed uh, to, to them, God seemed far away. God seemed very distant. They felt abandoned, I'm sure some. They felt lost. They felt defeated. And, and of necessity, uh, most learned, don't you think, in 70 years' time, that most of the people that were, were there in, in exile at Babylon, of necessity, they probably learned to adapt the best that they could to live their lives in that pagan nation. With all the godlessness that went on around them, all the false gods that were preached there, all the, all the immorality that went on, I mean, they, they adapted the best they could to live. Surrounded by pagan gods, surrounded by godless values, I mean, they just learned to adapt, to get along the best that they could because they could not worship the way that they had. But God had not forgotten His people. Oh, no, no. Even though they were there for 70 years, they were there because of their own sin. Somebody say amen right there. Yep. No, 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 no. God warned them. He sent his prophets. He did everything he could to get them to repent, turn back to him. You don't have to go into captivity if you'll just repent, if you'll just turn back to God. They chose not to do it. They chose their own way, do their own thing. And, and, and so they had to go into this captivity for seven years. But God did not forget about them while they were there. He had not abandoned the promises that he had made to their fathers. And though their nation had fallen under the judgment of God because of their own sins, God had a plan for saving them out of Babylon. No, he already had a plan. The plan was already made. Our God is a saving God. That's our God, a loving, caring, wonderful, gracious, merciful, saving God. When Adam and Eve fell in the garden, God had a plan for saving them. No, no, when, when the human race filled this earth with violence in the days of Noah, God had a plan to save them from coming judgment of the flood. He had a plan. No, no, more people could have gotten on that ark if they would have gotten on that ark. God had a plan for saving, for saving them. When the Hebrew people were enslaved in Egypt, God had a plan to save them from their bondage and return them to the land of promise, the land flowing with milk and honey. God already had that plan. Our God is a saving God. We just have to choose to come to the saving knowledge and to come to Him. 
And God is still in the saving business. He would have all men, all women, all boys and girls to come to the knowledge of that truth. He wants people to be saved by His grace. He wants to forgive the sin of people if they will just come and put their faith and trust in what Jesus did so long ago for us. God had a plan for saving the Jews uh, uh, from their exile in Babylon too. He already had a plan. A plan that mirrors really God's plan for saving men today uh, from the condemnation and judgment of their sins. Uh, You talk about being saved. Saved from what? Saved from your sins. Come on, it's what it says in Matthew chapter number 1. That Jesus came, was born to save his people from their sins. He saves us from sin. He saves us from the judgment of sin. He saves us to give us new life. It's called a new birth. I'm telling you, somebody's born again by the Spirit of God, they can have a new life. If they so choose to follow him. But it was a plan initiated by God. We have to remember that God is the one that did this. God is the one that did this. Because he cares about us, loves us more than we understand. Come on, for God so loved the world. And it's not talking about the dirt ball we live on. It's talking about mankind. It's talking about humankind. God loves us. Preacher, I can't figure out why God would love somebody like me. I know that feeling. Absolutely so. And I can't figure it out completely either, but we know that it's true that God loves us. And, and, and this plan to get them out of Babylon one day was initiated by God. Look at verse number one again. It says, now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation. Let me stop. You need to slow down, Bill. It says, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. We're talking about a godless king. Come on, stay with me here. We're talking about a godless king. Now remember, this is God's plan. It's God's plan. And we're talking about a godless king. And it says, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he, the king, made a proclamation through all his kingdom and put it also in writing saying this, thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth. Now stop right there. No, 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 stop right there. Look up here. We're talking about a godless king. We're talking about a pagan king. We're talking about somebody that did not worship the very God of heaven. He did not even worship the very God of heaven. Living in a godless nation. But here's what he's saying. That God up in heaven, he's the one that put me here. Come on, who could have given that revelation to him but God himself? Come on, there is a God in heaven. And it's an amazing thing that, that, that this king, who is a godless king, is acknowledging the fact that God is the one that set him up there. It, absolutely, very, very clearly, the Lord God of heaven had given me all the kingdoms of earth, and he has charged me, it's amazing, he had charged me to build him in a house, and house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. And so this was God's plan all along. Cyrus made this decree to set this plan in motion, but every part of this plan was orchestrated by God himself. God is in control. The the Lord God of heaven raised up Cyrus, making him the king of this new world empire. God did that. Preacher, I don't completely understand that. God has a plan that none of us completely understand, but he's working his plan. And he can use whoever he wants to to get it done. I said, God can use whoever he wants to to get that plan done. And it's proven right here. God chose to use the authority of Cyrus to accomplish 
His will for rebuilding the temple, temple there in Jerusalem. This is not something that God does in every government uh, uh, change that comes about in the world. I understand that. But it is something that He can do at any time in history when it serves to accomplish His will. He can raise up whoever He wants to. He can set in power whoever He desires. He, he can raise up men to do His perfect will that way. This, this, this is the claim that Jesus made truly in the Great Commission over in Matthew chapter 28 and verses 18 and 19. And Jesus came and spake unto them saying, listen to this, Jesus said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. All power. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Now God's power is not just limited, please get this, God's power is not just limited to heavenly affairs. Come on, God's not just directing things up in heaven. He's directing things up in heaven. But it's not just heaven where He directs things. No, 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 no. God's authority extends to every part of the earth, to all nations of this world. God's authority extends. God can open doors to the gospel. God can work behind closed doors to bring men to Christ. I had a, I, I had a conversation with, with a missionary this morning that's in a place where you would say, nobody's going to do a work for God over there. But, but God is doing work and people are being saved by the grace of God and people are being baptized and added to the church because God ordained it because God chose to do it he's still doing it today no 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 God not man determines what the final plan of human history is going to be it is God that is in control and so then the the Lord then stirred up the spirit of Cyrus the king to act on God's will, to make this proclamation which was made that we just read about. God not only has sovereign control of human history, but God has supernatural access to the human heart. Now, we don't completely understand that because we're not God, but God does have a supernatural, 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 make up those words when I get to preaching like that. He has his supernatural access to the human heart. God, God can spear the, uh, come on brain, God can stir the spirit of man whether that man be saved or not. That's what he does when you're lost. Man, he stirs, he convicts you, doesn't he? Come on, somebody say amen right there. Anybody's been saved by the grace of God, they know that convicting power. They know that when God spoke to their heart, they know that when God touched their heart and let them know they're a sinner in need of a Savior, that they need to trust Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Oh, no, no, no. God can touch hearts, but God can stir the spirit of man. He can stir the spirit of man because He is God and God can do whatever He wants to. Well, preacher, then answer me this. You know, if God wants everybody to be saved, why didn't he just save everybody? Because he doesn't work that way. Let me tell you why. No, look up here. Let me tell you why. Because God gave us all a free will. He gave us a free will. We have to make the decision whether or not we want to receive Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. Every individual has to make that decision. I, there was times that when, the, when our children were smaller that we wished we could make that for them. We couldn't make it for them. There, there are times that I wish I could make it for people I meet today, but we can't do that. No, no, he, God has given us a free will. Everybody has to make that decision sometime in their life whether or not they're going to trust Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. But that does not mean that God can't stir the heart, right? Come on. Look, the first time that God convicted me, I didn't get saved. No, I remember being under conviction. I, I remember thinking, man, that preacher knows way too much about me. 
I remember that conviction. It was very, very real at that point. Absolutely so. God was stirring my heart. I didn't get saved at that time. I got saved sometime later. But, but God, God can stir, stir a person's heart. Um, God put it into his heart, into Cyrus' heart, this godless king, put it in, into his heart to liberate the Jews so that they might return to their land and restore their right to worship God. Look, a little, more, a little more than 500 years later, God would again act in the same way because he would uh, move a Roman Caesar to announce a census that would require Joseph and Mary to travel to Bethlehem where Jesus Christ would be born in fulfillment to Bible prophecy. God does whatever he wants to do. Do you understand that? God moves however he wants to move. He does those things. So from start to finish, Excuse me, God's saving plan is directed by God, excuse me, by His will and by His Word. Here's, here's, here's the thing, and, and, and I love this part here, because, and, and, and they had to be super excited here, because this plan that God had offered, it offered forgiveness to the Jews. It offered His forgiveness once again. We know this, the temple, the temple was a central, it was central to the Jewish worship of God, the temple. It was there at the temple that the Jew could seek and find God. It was there that, that a Jew could receive forgiveness of his or her sin. One of the most important functions of the temple was that of the priesthood was to provide atonement for sin, to make those sacrifices. The Jew who brought God a proper sacrifice for sin, and he was assured of receiving God's forgiveness. The temple was, was, was that point. And the destruction of the temple when the Babylonians came and, 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 and tore down the temple and, and took them in, into captivity. The destruction of the temple, uh, the exile of God's people, showed how much their sins had come between them and God. God gave them a chance. All those years that those preachers were preaching, repent, turn to God. All they had to do was take their sacrifice to go to the temple. No, no, at that point, all they had to do was just get their sacrifice, go to the temple. Yes, we need to get back to God. That's exactly what we need to do. We need to do what God tells us to do so that we can get back and we can be close to God. That's all that they had to do. All they had to do was listen to God. All they had to do was take those steps. I mean, no, 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 it wasn't anything. Are you listening to me? It wasn't anything that any one of them could not have accomplished. It wasn't anything that was out of reach of any of them there. Whoever would have done that, man, God's forgiveness was right there waiting for them. But their sins got, their, their sins, their, their sins got so bad and it had become, become had, had, had gotten between them and God so much that God said, I've got to do something here. I've warned them and warned them and I've warned them and I've warned them. And they're not heeding it. And so here come the Babylonians. And they tear down the temple. I wonder if that was an eye opener. I mean, initially when it was happening. 
No, I'm talking about an eye-opener for sin to those people that were living there at that time. These armies come in. They're tearing down the temple. They're taking people into captivity. I, I mean, I wonder how many people were like, what, what, what have we done? What have we done? What have we done? And here's how, they, here's how they had to feel because the, the, the temple was there so that they could go and sacrifice. So here's how they had to feel. They had to feel like their access to God had been destroyed because it was God's plan. That's the way He worked back during that time. They went to the temple. They made these sacrifices. The, the sacrifices that had provided their forgiveness could no longer be offered on their behalf. So now <laughs> that, that, that this godless king was going to allow this to happen, I, I mean, that, that God was making it possible for the temple to be rebuilt. Don't, don't you think that would have been taken by the Jews as incredibly good news? Okay. Wow, you mean there's a way of salvation? Wow, you mean there's going to be a way we can get to God? God was releasing them to go back, rebuild the temple. It meant that God was willing to forgive their sins and to restore their relationship to Him. I think it had an impact on them. Some of them. Most of them. You know, it should still have an impact on people today. That our God has made a way that people can be restored unto Him. That His only, only begotten Son came and paid the price. I, I heard that there's some preacher out there preaching that, that Jesus is not God's only begotten Son. Oh, yes, He is. He's God's only begotten Son. He's the only one who's ever been born of God. Absolutely so. You know, we, we've been born again by the Spirit of God, but Jesus was born of God. You would think people would be excited about that, especially in the day and time that we're living in when sin and destruction is running so rampant. When it seems like we've escalated, let, let, stay with me here. When it seems like sin has escalated very quickly in the past months. And, and blatantly out in the streets and in the face of people. And God still sends preachers to preach the truth. And people still mock and ridicule. They still decide they can do their own thing, do their own way. They still talk ugly about our God. He's made a way for all of us to have our sins forgiven, for all of us to have our relationship restored to Him, just like He did with them.
For them, it meant that there was a way back to God. There was a way back to God for any Jew that would accept God's offer. The offer, just like it is today, was extended to whosoever will. Whosoever wants it. Verse number 3 says, uh, Who is there among you of all His people? See, God was offering the opportunity for all the Jews to return to Him and to worship Him again. He was offering it to all of them. God designed a plan for saving His people because He is a forgiving God. Psalm 86.5 says, for thou, for thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive. That's our God. Ready to forgive. Look, there would be no plan of salvation if God were not ready to forgive. I say there would be no plan of salvation if God was not ready to forgive. There would be no saving plan for us, no saving plan for the world, if Jesus had not been willing to give His life in payment for our sin. Jesus Christ is God. He is God who became human to shed His own blood for our sins. And instead of making us pay for our sins, Jesus paid for our sins. The message of the cross is the message that God is ready to forgive and His forgiveness is offered to whosoever will receive Jesus as their Savior. Whosoever will. Whosoever will come. God had a plan for saving His people, and He initiated the plan, and through it, He offered His forgiveness to the Jews. Here's the sad part. Not every Jew benefited from God's plan. But all were held accountable for the decision that they made. Not all benefited. But all were held accountable. Look at verse 5. It says, Then rose up the chief of the fathers of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites with all them whose spirit God has raised to go up to build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. And all they that were about them strengthened their hands with vessels of silver, with gold, with goods, and with beasts, and with precious things beside all, beside all that willingly offered so so here's here's the here's the case here cyrus uh, proclamation gave every jew the opportunity to return they all had that opportunity those who did not return were required to support those who did that's the way it worked you mean there were those that did not return very apparently well i wonder why well, they probably got uh, too adapted to that godless society. They probably got too enamored by the gods that they worship there. They probably got too um, they probably got too used to just doing whatever they wanted to do without any thought. Listen to me, please, without any thought of the future. And what the future would hold if they did not do what God would have them to do. But in this way, Cyrus, Cyrus the king, he made every Jew responsible. He made every Jew responsible for rebuilding the temple, whether they chose to return or not. They all had to give. 
The, the decision to return or, or to not return was more than a personal decision. It was a spiritual decision. Those who returned are described as, in verse number 5, are described as them whose spirit God had raised up. So God had opened their eyes. He had awakened them in, in an awareness of what they should do. And, and, and they said yes to God's plan. Yes, we're going to make this journey to Jerusalem. Yes, we're going to rebuild the house of God. Yes, we're going to do what's necessary to come back to God. That's what we are going to do. And it's really something, our God is so wonderful. Those who returned were financially supported by those who remained. <clears throat> um, you know, when uh, Moses led the people out of captivity in Egypt, what an amazing thing that all the people of Egypt were willing to give up their gold and silver and goods. And You know why that happened, right? Because God made it happen. God is able to do what he wants. And the Bible here says that some of them gave willingly to support the work down there in, the, in verse 6. They gave willingly to support the work. So they, they freely and willingly gave more than Cyrus even required of them. They had not gotten comfortable. No, no, no. These are the ones that had not gotten comfortable in the land of godlessness. They had not adapted or, or adopted all of the lifestyles of those that, that, that uh, uh, did not know the one true God. They still yearned for their homeland. They still yearned for the temple. They wanted to be close to God. Uh, apparently by reading this, you, you get this that, that most gave grudgingly. Because if it was not offered willingly, then it was given grudgingly. But they gave. The Bible says that we're to give willingly because God loves a cheerful giver. I've always figured I'll take it from any old grump. It doesn't matter. I don't care. Just kidding, just kidding. They gave because Cyrus commanded it. But I want you to get this. All who remained, please get this. All who remained rejected God's plan for rescuing them from exile. And from returning them and returning them to the promised land. God's given us a way to go back to, to our homeland and to rebuild the temple. Yeah, I heard the decree. Well, man, aren't you excited? Yeah, man, I feel pretty comfortable here. Oh, you're gonna give? Hey, I have to give because I mean it's a king's decree. But but you're not gonna go? Yeah, you know. I pretty much made my home here. They rejected God's plan. People are still doing that today. Well, aren't you sure if you died, you'd go to heaven? Uh, well, no. Well, if I could tell you, would you, would you be willing to listen to that? Well, no, you know. Uh, one of these days I might, but you know. Pfft. 
Uh, we're all going to heaven. We're just taking different roads, you know. Well, Jesus said that's not so. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me, by him. Only one way to heaven, that's through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But people reject it, don't they? Well, I'm going to work my way to heaven. No, you're not. Well, yes, I am. No, you're not. Well, yes, I am. No, you're not. You can't work your way to heaven. You can't do enough good works to get to heaven. Well, I'm going to join a church. Well, to really join a scriptural Bible-believing church, you first must trust Jesus Christ, your personal Savior. Yeah. Because churches won't get you to heaven. Not going to get you there. Baptism, being baptized as a baby, all these different things, that's not going to get you there. God made the plan. His plan was that He sent His only begotten Son to, 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 to pay the sin debt on the cross, shed His blood, to give up the ghost, to lay dead for three days and three nights, and to rise again. The price was paid by Jesus Christ. The plan was made by God Himself. It's a plan to rescue us from our sins. And people are still rejecting it today. It's really a shame because the Jews that were there, they were only meant to feel at home in one land, and that's the promised land. They should have never felt at home anyplace else. Are y'all still with me here? They should have never felt at home anyplace else. No, 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 no. Over in Deuteronomy chapter number 30, verse 19, it records the words of God as He sealed the covenant that He had made with the Jewish people. It says this, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, and that thou mayest obey His voice, and that thou mayest cleave unto Him, for He is thy life, and the length of thy days, that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. God has a plan. Dwelling in the land under... The enjoyment of divine blessing was a symbol of the Jews' relationship to God. Dwelling in that land that flowed with milk and honey. Man, oh man. Right where they needed to be. And every Jew would have been delivered from exile, only though, but the, only those who accepted God's offer received the salvation that was offered. The last few verses in this chapter adds an additional piece of information. And on the surface, it doesn't look really very interesting, truly. It's an account of the transfer of gold and silver vessels. It talks about platters and basins and knives. And it talks about a, a transfer of them from Babylonian possession unto Jewish possession. And these things had been removed from the house of God in Jerusalem, and they had been deposited into, uh, by Nebuchadnezzar in the house of his gods, little g there. Cyrus had 
them return to the Jews, pardon me, to be used in the house of the Lord when it was rebuilt in Jerusalem. Well, okay, preacher, that's a bit of information, by, but I, I, you know, why does that seem to be so important? Well, in, in ancient times, when nations went to war, they did so in the name of their gods. They went in their name of their gods. When, 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 the, when the people of Israel went to war, they went in the name of God. When others went to war, they went in the name of their gods, little g. When one nation conquered another nation, it proved that its god was better than the loser's god. It's the way they looked at it. No, no, it's the way they looked at it. When Jerusalem fell and the temple was destroyed, don't you think that the... Uh, don't you think that the headlines in Babylon probably read, Jehovah falls to Marduk? Oh, come on. I mean, that, that's their God or one of their gods, you know? We've overtaken Jehovah. Don't you know they felt proud? That's the way they thought back then. Our God has overtaken their God. This is, this is some kind of conquest here. This is something. The God that parted the Red Sea, he was no match for Marduk, the God of the Babylonians. The God who had given Israel its land was not big enough to keep the Babylonians from taking it away from them. That was their mindset. They did not understand that all of this was part of God's plan either. In Ezra chapter number 1, Babylon is no more, but the kingdom of God still stands. Jehovah is still on the throne. His word is still being fulfilled. His people are being rescued. God is control, in control of human history. God has access to human hearts. Well, I thought you were talking about all the vessels. Now, stay with me, stay with me. The return of the vessels from Babylon to Jerusalem demonstrated that what the world had seen as defeat was, in fact, part of the great victory of God. No, no, he, he was directing events toward the great saving event, the birth of Jesus and his death and his resurrection. Come on, from before the world was created, before the first couple fell, God had a plan to save His people and all people through Jesus Christ. And here at the outset of this, this, the onset of this book, God wants us to know this. His saving plan is much bigger than you think. Yes, it's about being forgiven for, for our sins. Please stay with me. Yes, it's about being forgiven for our sins. Yes, it's about having a right relationship to God, to be accepted by God, to know Him, and to walk in His grace day by day. But more than that, God's saving plan points us to the day of the final victory of God and God's people. Look, we do not judge how God is doing today by what is happening in our world today. 
I'll say it again. We do not judge how God is doing today by what is happening in our world today. And why doesn't God do something? God is doing something. Well, I really can't see it. That doesn't mean it ain't happening. God's at work. God's at work. The enemies of God thought that they had defeated God at Calvary when Jesus died. But the resurrection proved them wrong. The devil thought that he had won the war when Jesus cried and gave up the ghost and died on that cross that day, but he was wrong. And it was proven by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The day is approaching when the kingdoms of this world will be no more. But the kingdom of God will remain. No, no, this book gives us hope. Every false God and every false religion will one day be overthrown. And God will still be on His throne, worshipped by His people. By His people. It will happen. God is a saving God. Jesus died so that you might be saved. Jesus rose again so that you might be saved. And the question would have to be, have you called upon Jesus to save you? I'm thankful that salvation is a free gift. Free gift. I didn't have to work for it. All I had to do was ask for it. Save my soul just like that. And if you're saved... God wants your family saved. And God wants your friends saved. And God wants your co-workers saved. Jesus came to save people from their sins. I'm thankful for the new life that I have in Christ. But it wasn't only for me. It's for everybody. <clears throat> but people aren't going to know that unless we tell them. Well, what if we tell them and they reject it? Then you've done your part. Come on, stay with me. I'm, right, I'm, I'm fixing to quit. Then you've done your part. They rejected him back then. I think I'll just stay here. I'm telling you, you don't want to leave this world without Jesus Christ as your Savior. Well, people are still rejecting Him. I know, isn't it heartbreaking? Well, what, what good is it going to do to tell people they're just going to reject Him? You don't know about that when that one's going to accept Him. We don't know. There's never a wrong person to give the gospel to. Never. Because we don't know what God might do. You know, it's really a shame, isn't it, to think that we would have friends 
that would end up in hell when we know the way to heaven. Now, I mean, it really isn't it a shame to think that people that you're around day, uh, day after day or, 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 or family or whatever the case, that, 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 that they would end up in hell because we just don't feel like we need to speak up and tell them that they don't have to go there. Well, preacher, they're just kind of closed off. I mean, nobody, they, I know these people, they really don't want to listen to anything like that. I'm fairly certain that's the way people felt about me 37 years ago. But somebody reached out. We never know who may just be waiting for somebody to reach out. And wouldn't it be horrible to one day stand there saved at the great white throne judgment watching those that haven't been saved be judged for their sin and to see people down there that you had an opportunity to share the gospel with but never did? Preacher, that's, that's man. I'm t- that what you know, boy. What why you know? I you what? No, no. I'm just saying this. God's still in the saving business, but people need to know about Him. I mean, whether we invite them to church and bring them to church to hear about it, or whether we set down some place and we share it, or whether we're passing out tracts every day of our life, or whatever the case may be. God is a saving God. He has moved heaven and earth to provide this world a Savior. This world has been provided a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And all people have to do is turn their heart to God, repentance, and trust Christ as their Savior. We can have confidence in His saving plan. And I'm telling you, all this, all this, 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 this coronavirus thing and everything else that's going on in our country right now, it, it just seems like it's made everything so chaotic, but our God is still a saving God. And even with everything that's going on, I want to encourage us as a church, I, I want us to be a church that strives together to tell others that, to tell others what He has done for us. Because that's why He left us here. He's still in the saving business. And just like He offered it to them, He's offering it up today. God is not willing that any should perish. He doesn't want anyone to go to hell. He wants all to come to repentance. That place of coming to Him. That's what He wants. We have to decide. And people can't decide unless they're given an opportunity to decide. I 
I read a deal the other day that brought it down to a place where it said that there are only seven to eight percent, only seven to eight percent of the churches here in the United States of America still preach the Bible. Let's give the high number. 8% still preach the way of salvation. Only 8%. Is it any wonder, really? No, no, I'm I'm, going to quit. But is it any wonder, really, that people don't understand what you're talking about when you tell them, I'm saved. They have no idea. Oh, you're religious. You go to church. Well, no, I'm saved by God's grace. Well, saved? What's that all about? Come on, that's a conversation you usually have, isn't it? If you talk to people about it. Shouldn't it make us just that much more concerned? Shouldn't it prompt us that much more to try to get the gospel out before it's too late? Because people that do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior will die and go to hell one day. I say it it with no enjoyment in my heart whatsoever. It's just a fact. People don't want to hear that. People need to hear that. It's truth. And God has provided a way. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God made the way. And the call is still out there. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Any that will come to Him, He'll save them. We should be doing everything we can to try to get people to Jesus Christ before it's eternally too late. You and I.